up epiphany you know I, I before i get started let me just say a prayer of thanksgiving for the offering let's pray father we bless you and we praise you we delight in you even right now we recognize that all of our provisions all of our maintenance literally everything that we need for life for our substance not only spiritual but physical comes from you we thank you for the pleasure of being able to give back to you even a small portion of what you have bestowed upon us for our livelihood, Lord God. Now we pray for this great fellowship that in their hands you would take what's a little and that you would multiply it exponentially, that your gospel and your kingdom would resonate over all of Philadelphia and even beyond to the East Coast and the West Coast and even to the ends of the earth because of what your people have done in your name, by giving to this cause. We bless you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, it's good to see all of you today. I tell you, I was a little thrilled when I got in because I saw on the seating that had been kind of reserved a towel. Now, y'all know in my tradition, if, if you see a towel like this, it automatically almost enlists a hoop in the air and a little spin. But then as the service began to go on, I felt that I had been deprived. In light of the way that the house was being rocked, my feeling was this should have been a terry cloth bath towel. <laughs> so I'm taking this home with me, man, as a small fraction of what y'all should have gave me. <laughs> but that was jumping, that was bumping. You know, I, I, I really appreciate the brothers that are putting the music together, this praise and worship team. Uh, y'all need a big offering because y'all need new speakers after E's wife hit that note. It's like Deuce was like, something's going wrong with the system. But that was, um, that's so exciting, y'all. You know, in every household, in every household, there's an uncle that you don't see often. And you know, every time you see him, he always says, man, you got bigger. I feel like y'all lost uncle. Because I was one of the guys that used to be in that brownstone that he was talking about. Me and Deuce was there, and, and Cruz was there, and Brady was there, and, and, and just cutting it up about the cross movement and all that was being done. And it was around that time that I remember um, Deuce began to talk about E and that they were going to be migrating from Dallas to the East Coast to do this thing, this transformational thing for a generation that had been forgotten for many respects of people that had become disillusioned with the traditional church. And I remember hearing, hearing him talk and seeing the enthusiasm and feeling like there was a woman, a woman that was giving birth pains. And lo and behold, the baby has been born. And I got to tell you, it's been two years since I kind of saw the baby. What potential. What opportunity, what reality of potential achievement, and from a distant generation, not far removed from y'all, I'm pleased by the grace of our God and what he has done. This is an exciting time. It's an awesome opportunity. And I thank, I thank Pastor Deuce, I thank Pastor E., I don't know if y'all calling me. I calling me. Is he okay? Is he Pastor Mason? Is he Pastor Eric? Is he Dr. Pastor? Is he Reverend Dr. Pastor? <laughs> All right, brother. But I am so delighted to be able to be here. 
Um, I want to acknowledge my beloved wife of 16 years. I love her to death. That's my baby. She keep me in check. One of the brothers came over last night about 7 o'clock. I was laboring through the message. I was going through the text. And, and he had dinner with me for about a half hour. And when the 8 o'clock bewitching hour came, it's funny because I wasn't going to break it off with him because I love fellowshipping, particularly with men. And, and my wife came downstairs and told him, you got to go, brother. That's my baby. She, she, protects, she protects me. She protects my time. She protects my family even. Y'all know, I, 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 I'm there to protect the home, but when it comes to my family and the invasion of people into our private world, my wife draws the boundary. She puts the stake in the ground, the line in the sand, and says, okay, just don't cross over it, otherwise you won't see me. <laughs> and my youngest daughter, Alana, is here today. I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. First of all, she's 14, just turned 14 in the 10th grade already. And so she'll graduate even before she has the chance to get her driver's license. And not only that, but she just got nominated by, we're still trying to find out who, I believe it was because of her scholastic scores on some testing that she took, to go down to Washington and to spend a week down in Washington learning about national security and diplomacy from people from the State Department, no less. Can you believe that? And that actually came at 13 years old. She just turned 14. That, that's it. For my baby, y'all. For my baby. And there's some beloved friends that are here with me from Sweet Union. My mom, mom Bernice, her daughter, Dinah. My man, R. Swift, is in the back. Swift! It's my man. We've been plugging the streets together down in West Philadelphia, doing all kinds of surveys and inventories of the community because we're about to come out. We're about to come out. We're a church with a 65-year tradition, a 65-year history. Now, y'all at two right now. So y'all got a few more years to come through to get to where we're at. But even though we're a church of 65 years old, we're really a new church that's on an embryonic and, and believe it or not, an inaugural journey. So in many respects, as much as you're only two years old, our church really is only two years old. I know some of y'all are thinking, how he been there for 65 years? He look good. Now, the irony is that I've only been there as long as this fellowship has been here. And we see eye to eye on ministry, particularly as it relates to the, having every man, woman, and child in the city of Philadelphia hear the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look, y'all, I don't want to be before you and labor you too long. Um, last time I was here, I think, uh, Deuce was teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. And I remember it so distinctly because I never thought that I would see anyone go through all 16 books, chapters in Corinthians within an hour. But he did it so eloquently, so exegetically, that all of his professors down at Dallas would have done proud for him. Fortunately, I ain't trying to do that today with my text. But listen, y'all, if you have time, why don't you take a minute to meet me in the Old Testament? Now, y'all know there are some churches nowadays that don't touch the Old Testament because they don't, they don't think there's relevancy in the Old Testament for a New Testament church. I know you guys don't feel that way. But there is something in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 13, that I do want to share with you. 
And as you turn there, I just want to give you something to contemplate, something to reflect on this, your second anniversary. This is really a special time. It is a time of great height. It's a time to think about past challenges that have been overcome. It's a time to consider potential challenges and obstacles and barriers that may still yet be ahead, but with the hope of the past, looking at those things with great anticipation for what God will do in knocking down the obstacles that are going to prevent you, that would like to stop you from being able to multiply into this great area of Philadelphia that needs to hear all of you so desperately, y'all. If you're new to Philadelphia and you don't know about North Philadelphia, just hang around a little bit longer. I venture you say, get out at about midnight. Walk the streets of this community. Don't do it in the daytime. Because, you know, the deceitful things of darkness are done in darkness. Check it out at night. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes when I drive home, I come down Spring Garden Street and I, I hook a left on 16th just to come down this way to become sober about the need for the gospel, the necessity of the church. Check this out by way of introduction. Recently, I had the occasion to go through some of my notes and I came across an article that I'd originally peeped out back in 2005 and it brought back a flood of memories to me. And I think though those memories from that article are pertinent, they're relevant. There's something I think you need to hear today because this is your second anniversary and the goal is not just two. The goal is 200 and beyond as you shift and you pass this legacy to those that are coming up behind you. The same way, if the truth be told, these brothers that started this church were afforded a legacy that they had to revine, refine and revise to make it right for their generation, to make it right for their audience, in a sense, to make it relevant. But they still are standing on a strong tradition. Even if you take it back to that tradition that was laid in Christ Jesus that the apostles built upon. And the building continues even to this very day. But in this article, which actually was written in the Washington Post, it was entitled, No Place for Me. I still love God, but I've lost faith in the church. African-American brother. In this article, this, 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 this writer happened to be a grandson of a pastor. This writer who was a licensed minister, was expressing how over the years he had for all intents and purposes become disconnected from the church. He alleged disconnected from the organization, disconnected from the operation, totally disengaged, if you will, from the facility, the building structure, but still desiring and being connected to God, maybe not because of his own doing, but because you know when you're in the hands of the Lord, God will never disconnect from you, though you might try to disconnect from him. And I'm excited and I praise God for that, and you should also. The Bible talks about how Jesus said that um, all that is in the hand of my Father will continue to remain there, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You can't even get out of his hand once he has placed you in it. Though you become disillusioned with the church, as this man did, still he was connected to the church. Now, now what he had assessed, what he had determined, as he sat back and watched, watch this, him sending his wife and his children out to church each Sunday, as he stayed home, 
was that the church for him no more than three years ago had lost his relevancy. And that this loss of relevancy was directly related to the fact that the church had begun to go on maintenance mode. It became operationally focused versus missionally focused. It was more concerned about self-preservation rather than kingdom generation and the corresponding social transformation. And this brother's story, it was so sad because it was characterized by discouragement, disillusionment, and disappointment. But, but his cry in that article was a prophetic message, not that it was foretelling, if you will, but that it was forthtelling in a language that was understandable about some of the challenges that the church is facing in order to remain relevant in a society where it appears that almost progressively it's becoming more and more irrelevant. Complicating the matters for a church are the social ills and the conditions that prevail, that demand our attention. Problems confronting our community, which all too often churches turn a blind eye to. They don't think the outreached hand of the Holy Spirit can deal with the challenges that we face on a regular basis in our communities, for that matter, in our families in the various social networks that we frequent. Philadelphia, for a prime example, you're here. By virtue of you being here, you have a responsibility to this territory. It's not by happenstance circumstance that you happen to be in this community. You've been called here. And you've been called for such a time as now. With all the dismal conditions, with all the chaos, with all the confusion that is prevailing in this neighborhood, those of you that are under the sound of my voice have been called for such a time. Did y'all know over the last three years, Philadelphia has been contending for being one of the cities with the highest violent crime rate? In Philadelphia, almost 60%. 60% of all married couples are separated. 60% in the city of Philadelphia. 48% of the youth, 48% of the youth that are now in high school will not graduate. 48%. I'm down the street from Overbrook High School. There's 2,500 students in that high school. That statistic says about 1,200 of those students will not graduate from high school. Most of the households in this city, whether you know it or not, are occupied by approximately three people. If you go by the census data, you'll find that it's actually about 2.87 people, E, but I don't know how they get a .87 person. So I'm rounding up to three people. But the majority of those homes, though they have three people, are primarily headed by a woman doing a work of a single parent. Our family, the nuclear family, is disintegrating. The nuclear family is deteriorating. The institution that God set up to be the vivid example of what the kingdom ought to look like is wasting away into oblivion. Think about it. 
people that are outside the church who may not have ever been disconnected, people in the church who want to disconnect because they become disillusioned, they become, if you will, disappointed, if you will, they become despair. These people, they're the people you have to reach. Along with all of the other people that fall into those social categories that all too often we turn a blind eye to. They need to be reached as well by all of you. And here we are confronted with these amazing obstacles before us on a second anniversary, celebrating. And there's still so much work to be done. And complicating that struggle because it's not just Epiphany that should be involved in it. But I guarantee you it's the other 24 churches within five blocks of Epiphany that ought to be engaged. It's the 2,500 churches that make up the metropolitan Philadelphia statistical area that should be engaged. But how can they do so? When the theological framework for most people in engaging a church is based upon what's in it for me. Consequently, Epiphany, what must you, as a church celebrating its second year anniversary today, practice tomorrow to help sustain the likelihood, the possibility, that you will be around beyond the present? What habits must you exercise to remain in God's practical favor, ensuring you don't become, like the author of that Washington Post article, disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed? The book of Jeremiah gives us some insight into some things that we ought to consider. Jeremiah chapter 13 starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 11, Jeremiah 13. Epiphany Fellowship Church, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist and the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it, and behold, the loincloth was spoiled. Listen to this, y'all. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, 
So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. Listen to this. That they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But here's what's so disheartening. But they would not. But they would not. I like to give you as a central theme, as a central thought, something to kind of wrap your thoughts around, something to wrap this conversation around, continuing the movement, continuing the movement. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we are humbled by you. We're honored that you called us. We're overwhelmed by the fact that being justified by faith, we have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we're anxious to hear from you. We're not comfortable nor satisfied with hearing from the culture as much as we are as hearing from you and interpreting the culture through what you said. So, Father, open up our understanding, even right now, that we might praise you and that we might worship you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. From these passages of scripture, I want to provide you through two things, two things, not three things. You know, almost everything has to be in threes. I've broken that trend. Two things that I would encourage you as a church to pursue if you're going to avoid the snares of alarmism, cynicism, or negativism about God's coveted prize. The church, the church, a living, advancing, organic movement that continues in this modern day through churches like Epiphany Fellowship, new church plants that are emerging. Though this is not anything new. This whole movement started over 3,000 years ago with our forefather Abraham. And we're continuing it today in our present form. Those of you not familiar with the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a book that was written over some 40 to 60 years. It's debatable as to the full range of Jeremiah's ministry. But it covers a number of kings, from King Josiah all the way through to the last king of Judah, Zedekiah. It's a book that from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that, that it was dictated by the son of a priest. And that that son of that priest had been called at a very youthful age. For all intents and purposes, even younger than most of you under the sound of my voice. When you get a chance, check out Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, where it talks about that he was called as a youth. And the word youth suggests that Jeremiah was probably no more than maybe 16 or 17 years old. It's really an indictment upon the nation when God seeks to reach out into that nation for a prophetic voice. And he has to go to the youth because the ancients, the wise men, the gray-haired men, if you will, are not the ones that he can go to. The chapter that I want to deal with you today is a very unique chapter in the annals of the book of Jeremiah. And the reason is because it is about the indictment of a nation. Follow with me, if you will, on a couple of passages 
and Jeremiah to give you a feeling for this indictment. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 1 and pick up with me at verse 16. The reason for these judgments that are articulated by this young prophet over so many years of ministry is found portions of it in verse 16. It says, and I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 11. The prophet goes on to say, has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And one more passage in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 24 through 29. So as you go there, you see that Israel had began abandoning their God. They had been turning their direction to, to other gods. And as these final verses under consideration, we'll see that not only had they begun to abandon their God, but they had begun even to abandon the principles that their God stood for. In verse 26 of chapter 5, it says, For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice. The cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. So it wasn't that they had just abandoned their God, but they had abandoned the principles that were most symbolic of that God. To look for the oppressed, to look for the disenfranchised, to find those that were on the margins of society. To help make them understand that though they be at the periphery, they still have value because the image of God still resonates in them. An image though tarnished, yet redeemable yet redeemable. You find from these passages we just went through that Israel had violated the two greatest commandments known to men. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor, and your neighbor as yourself. And God got tired. God got weary. Let me show you how weary God got of this divorced people. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 2 and look real quickly at verse 12. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. And while you're turning there, put your hand also in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 18. First Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. There you'll find these words. Uh, the prophet says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate declares the Lord. Notice what he says. Be appalled, O heavens. God is calling the heavens to bear witness over the atrocities of this nation that were his people that had celebrated more than two years with him. Epiphany, hear what I say to you. Don't think that you couldn't inadvertently hello slide 
in the same way that Israel slid. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 6, looking at, 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 at verse 18. The prophet says, therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth. This is cosmic judgment. God is bringing the heavens and the earth in to bear witness. For the earth never sleeps. And the heavens are always open. For the eye of the Lord penetrates them. And God says, I bring you to the witness stand. Say to these people what they have become. Back to Jeremiah chapter 13. In the book of Jeremiah, 13 is a pivotal change. Up to this point, the prophet has primarily been declaring what God has told him to say. But in Jeremiah chapter 13, something changes because he begins to move from the verbal to the visual. In Jeremiah chapter 13, and in some of the subsequent chapters, all of a sudden he takes an ocular demonstration, a visible illustration that the prophet is supposed to undertake in order for the people to see what they are, who they are, and what God intends to do. In Jeremiah 13, it is to put on the loincloth. In Jeremiah 18, he is to go down to the potter's shed to see that God is the divine and sovereign God, and he does whatever pleases him, even if it is to bring judgment upon his own people. In Jeremiah chapter 19, it's the image of the broken flask with the elders that are bearing witness to this broken bottle, which is to symbolize the children that the nation itself had killed in the valley of Hinnom. In Jeremiah chapter 27, it's the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar as he warns those nations that may try and partner with the southern kingdom, don't do it. Because the God of all heaven and earth is about to bring all nations under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. God can do that, you know. And then finally in Jeremiah chapter 32, hope. Because in Jeremiah 32, the prophet is told, go buy a partial of land. And if you know like I know, you're not going to buy land in a place that you're never coming back to. It was to give them hope that though they would be exiled, they would return. They would return. Two points, and I'm out of your way. Traditional church planting models say that a successful church plant is when you are self-funding, when you are self-governing, and when you are self-reproducing. But I would say that you could have all of that and still be Corinth, and still be a church like Corinth. Might I add, that there are two additional ingredients that I would align with that list that are found in this text. The first one is devotion to God. The first one is devotion to God. Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Just read, read these passages along with me. Thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a loincloth. That is a waistcloth. That is an undergarment. It's bigger than this because it wraps all the way around the man. God says, Jeremiah, go. I need you to provide a visible demonstration of where my people stand with me. 
So he tells the, 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 he tells the prophet, go and get yourself a linen loincloth. He says, put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. Y'all know when you dip something in water, if it's, if it's rigid, it becomes pliable. If it's hard, it becomes soft. God says to the prophet, take the linen that you were given, but don't dip it in water. Why? Because he didn't want the linen waist cloth to appear as though it had become pliable because the people of God were not to be pliable. They were supposed to be straight. They were supposed to be wrinkled, rigid. They were supposed to be without wrinkle. Don't put water on it, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, so I brought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord, and I put it around my waist. And the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Now, you got to understand, Jeremiah was an aspiring piece. So, so in, in his normal garb would have been a long, flowing robe. But Jeremiah is now walking around in the city of Jerusalem, a spectacle for all intents and purposes, with this linen waist cloth, this linen loincloth around him. And you know he's commanding attention. He's commanding attention. And he does that for a season. And in verse 3, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And it said, take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, arise and go to the Euphrates. Now, it could be two things. One, it could be a city that was within hours distance of Jerusalem. Or it could have been the region of the Euphrates. I'm leaning towards it being a region of the Euphrates, namely because of what Josiah the king had begun to get himself involved in. He began to make alliances with the king of Assyria. The, 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 the very king. Who, 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 after his father Ammon, had been killed by his own servant's hand. The people nominate to be king at the ripe old age of eight years old. Who brings about reforms in Israel. Aligns himself with a nation that opposes the very God he has set his life to serve. So much so does he align himself that later on in 2 Chronicles 34, what you discover is that he opposes an enemy of Assyria, Egypt. And in the midst of opposing Egypt, in the fierce battle he engages in, a battle that wasn't even his, he gets killed. Though so God had given him a promise, because you have set your heart on me, because you have implemented these reforms, there will be peace under your reign until you lay down with your fathers. God said, look, man, I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you tranquility. Why? Because your heart was stayed on me. And Josiah, out of his own will, cut short his own life. He cut short his own life. Verse 6, and after many days, the Lord said to me, arise, go to the Euphrates. Jeremiah has gone to the Euphrates. And take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. So he took this white, nicely starched, all clean, unwrinkled, rigid loincloth. And he hid it in the region of the Euphrates, symbolic of the relationship and alliance that Josiah had formed with the king of Assyria. 
And the message to the prophet is, you have soiled yourselves, Judah. Why? And the prophet goes back and he retrieves this buried waist cloth. In verse 7 he says, Then I went to Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. The first thing, my beloved brothers and sisters, that we can take from this passage is whatever you do, as you look back on the prior two years and you begin to look forward, don't lose your devotion to God. Do not lose your devotion to God. Israel lost their devotion to God and judgment came to them. The promise and the hope of all that they could have been was cut short. In our present world, it's easy to lose devotion to God. Unlike the ancient Near Eastern culture, where if you were going to worship a false god, you would go to that god's temple, you would prepare offerings in that god's name, and everybody would see you going to that god's temple. The prophet talks about it. He says that the men would cut down wood in order to start a fire. In order that the women would be able to knead dough to take as an offering to the queen of heaven. And don't think in this modern world you can inadvertently, easily get caught up in the cultural melee and unbeknownst to you, find your heart away from your God. Come on, how easy is it to get caught in materialism? Just one more Game Boy. Just one more pair of food boots. Hello. I talk about myself. One more Rockaway shirt. It can't hurt. Everybody in the fellowship looks the same. So easy to get caught in materialism, and before you know it, on Sunday morning as the offering plate's going around, your offering is decreasing, but your closet is increasing. It's easy to get caught up in hedonism, pursuing the passions of your own lust. Come on, being here on Sunday and then on Friday, we're the club. We're the party on campus. And lastly, for those of you that are in, in universities, those of you that are in colleges, those of you that are on the quest for a career, those of you in the pursuit of knowledge, don't think intellectualism cannot become a god. And need we recount the push for success, which in this world is acceptable. Get all you can and can all you get. And how about popularity? I feel, I pray for my hip-hop brothers because you can easily become absorbed in wanting to be the focus. Being the celebrity. Come on, y'all saw Kanye go crazy? Keep your devotion focused on God. 
The second thing, the second thing, and the second thing, and even to help to prove, if you will, my, my translation, my interpretation of the first seven verses. See, I, I knew y'all was down there. See, see, he gives us the translation. That's why it's an easy passage. That's why I took it. Um, look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he gives an explanation to Jeremiah. He says, thus says the Lord, even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart, and look, they have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, spoiled and stained, watch this, good for nothing. Good for nothing. So again, the first thing is to continue to be devoted to God. The second thing, and I'm closing is that you need to be dedicated to God's cause. I know these brothers. I know this is not about their pursuits. But you've got to align yourself with the direction that they're moving in so that you don't inadvertently begin to circumvent the cause for all of this. What is God trying to do here, my beloved? It's right here in this verse. Not only should you be devoted to God, but you need to be dedicated to God's cause. It's right here. He says, for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? There's a clean that's taking place. Now watch this. God, watch this. I love what God said because he said, I've made them cling to me. Hello. <laughs> Don't miss that. 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 Because all too often, you know, I feel like sometimes I want to let go. I, I feel sometimes this life is a struggle. I feel like sometimes it's easier to go the other way, to go to the dark side. And even at those occasions, those times when I think I should let go, I feel something saying, you can't because I got you. But look why he says I made them, that they might cling to me that they might be for me a people a name a praise and a glory and may it never be said of any of you listen to me epiphany but they would not listen let that never be named and never be said among you dedication to God's cause is that you would be his people and by his grace, because of what he's done in Christ Jesus, he has united you to Christ so that once you're in him, you can't get out. For you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might declare praises unto him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were not a people of God, but he made you a people. So not only does this dedication require a people, but it also requires that you bear his name. That you bear his name. I was peeping out that, that beat and that rap that Deuce threw up there. In the New Testament, God gets a new name. You might miss it, but it's in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Singular, but followed by Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's not just a water immersion, that's a spiritual baptism by virtue of your union with Christ, such that when Christ was on the cross, you were on the cross. When Christ was put in the grave, you were put in the grave. And when Christ rose from the dead, you rose spiritually with him in anticipation of your future redemption, where you will rise also. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited right now. I apologize. But not only... It's God's cause that he would have a people. And not only that he would have a name, but that also he would have a praise. Turn with me for a quick second to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 11. He says, in him, that's Christ Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, according to the purpose of him. Not my purpose. Not your purpose. But Epiphany, you exist for his purpose. Who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, listen to this, to the praise of his glory. Because of what he has started in accordance with his will. This is not anything that you appropriated to yourself for the purpose that you have convened here now. God appropriated you to himself for his purpose. And then finally, not only that you would be a people, not only that you would be a name, not only that you would be a praise as symbolic of your dedication to God's cause, but I like it because he ends it with this notion of glory, of glory. Turn with me for a second to just John, and then I'm out of your way. John chapter 17, one last verse, and I'm out of your way. Personally, I think it's important that if a man's about to die, whatever his last words are, they merit some consideration. This thing called glory. I bring you to this passage of scripture because all too often in evangelical circles, it's, it's so easy to get caught up only in the redemption of humanity. It's so easy to get caught up in, uh, I'm just wanting to see people get saved. And that's not a bad thing, but that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing. God so loved the world. Creation. Humanity and the material earth and heavens need redemption. And guess who's been charged with the responsibility of even redeeming the material? Redeeming the material in, in, in your political sphere. Redeeming the material in your financial sphere. Redeeming the material in your familial sphere. Redeeming the material even in the social sphere that you operate on a regular basis. Look what, look what, John chapter 17, verse 4. 
Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth. Talking to the Father. Look how he glorified the Father. It's not just about word. But it's also about work. He says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There's work to be done. It's good to study the text. It's good to bust it up with other people about the word. But don't become so isolated and so focused on just studying the word that there's no work to accompany it. For faith without works. Epiphany. I know from this neighborhood you got a lot of work to do. Today, I encourage you in spite of the mayhem that you see and the chaos and the enticements of the passions of the lust of the flesh that seem to be prevailing in our culture, in spite of what appears to be the triumph over, of injustice over justice, wrong over right, good over evil, remember at the end of it all, because we're in the hand of the Father, because, if you will, we are devoted to God. Because, if you will, we are dedicated to God's cause. At the end, regardless of what circumstances, trials, sufferings, tribulation, we endure for the sake of the cross, we win. Let's close in prayer. Father, we bless you and praise you. We thank you for your tenderness, your mercy that's in abundance. We thank you that you saved us. The soiled linen waist cloth, the filthy rag, you saved us. And now, Lord God, because you've given us an identity in Christ Jesus, help us to fulfill the purpose that flows out of that identity. Help us, Lord, to turn the world upside down by bringing people to a knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. But let's also take those things in the world that appear to be unredeemable and by your creative touch, allow us to be God-like in redeeming them and recreating them for your purpose. Keep us focused, Lord. Keep this church focused. I pray your protection around um, Pastor Mace and, and Pastor Deuce and, 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 and all the accompaniment that you have surrounded them with to pull off your divine plan for this community in the name of Epiphany. I pray for the people that are here, even those that are visitors, that they would not disconnect at, after this service is over, but appear to reconnect align themselves with this community of believers that they might move out and do a great thing in your name, that they might, even if you will, Father, help the migration of darkness and the movement of light to replace it. Let this not be their last anniversary, but multiply it a hundred times over as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.